Good morning. And uh, we are going to be concluding our series here this morning on dethrone. We are going to be jumping into this pretty quick because it's going to be like a fire hydrant as we deal with this concept of our defense. But to be quite honest, I realized that my communion idea um, and that my actual intro must mean summer is near because I've got vacation on the mind. Like I'm ready to, anybody else ready to take a break? Ready to go on some long trips with your family? You're already got your lists packed out and everything else. Like whenever my family takes a long trip, it, it's an ordeal to get ready because you got four kids. You've got to start making sure that everything is detailed out before you get moving months in advance. Your time needs to be taken. You need to make sure everything's there. Anybody with me on this? And then you, you finally get all of it loaded in. You get all of it packed and you figure out how it configures in your van on top and inside and everything's put together. And invariably you're driving along as you go. You're about maybe a 30 miles away or something from your house. And somebody says, I think I forgot this. Anybody had that problem? Yeah, my family, it's always the same thing. I don't have my shoes. I don't understand how my children get into a car without shoes, but they manage to do it. It doesn't matter where we go, when we go, we could be picking them up and putting them in the car, and they've had their shoes on them. They manage to kick them off and kick them out of the car before we take off. The shoes are never there. Can you tell I'm upset about this? Uh, So... I get really annoyed. It's like my biggest, my biggest deal. But one of the things about planning your vacation that you always tell yourself is if you forget it, what do you end up saying? You're like, well, we'll just buy it when we get there. Anybody else that way? You're just like, well, we'll just pick it up when we get there, I guess. Forgot my toothbrush. We'll buy one when we get there. So the, the hardest part and the only time you can't do that is in with your vacationing doing backpacking. See, backpacking, you got to put everything into your backpack that you need for life and make sure whatever you think you need doesn't make it in because it's only the essentials. You can't have too much or it's too heavy and you need to have just what you need and you need to have exactly what you need because you can't get up into the middle of the woods and the Sierras or whatever and go, hey, I forgot something. Can we stop by a CVS on the way? It's just not there up there. In fact, many of the towns don't have the the availability that you're looking for. And so as you're backpacking, you need to have everything that you need. You cannot forget anything. And that is what I want you to hear this morning. You cannot forget any of what we talk about today. You cannot forget to put on anything we're discussing as we deal with this idea of defense, especially your shoes. If you miss your shoes, I'm going to, we'll see. Okay. So What I want you to do, though, is I want you to see this. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning verse 10, we're going to follow through and look at this day because we've been looking at this spiritual warfare that we've been engaged in. We've been looking at this world filled with the demonic, filled with this defeated enemy that's still kicking and still punching. So how do we engage in this situation? We looked at the last week. We looked at their weaponry. Now we're going to look at our defense. It's found here in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Paul is the author of this text. He's an evangelist who has planted this church and it has been dealing with the demonic and spiritual warfare and magic and different things and not like, you know, not like magic you see on TV, but like calling upon spirits and stuff like that. And so it's no wonder that his involvement here is the strongest. This is finale in the text. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Last week we looked at those schemes. There are four of them. We've got, we've got deception, temptation, accusation, and destruction. And if you want more information on those, you can go back to last week's podcast and take a look at that. But also you have, then he moves on. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of, the e- of evil in the heavenly places. And two weeks ago, we discussed that fact, that there are three 
three enemies arrayed against us, the world, the flesh, and the demonic enemy, and that those things are in league to cause us to sin and separate us from God. That the issue here is a spiritual battle and not a battle between people. That it's not a yelling and screaming match online. It's a matter of our hearts and a matter of our engagement with the Lord and in this world. As we'll see, this kind of fleshes out more as we go forward. Finally, we then take on what the resurrection has offered us, what Jesus Christ and his resurrection on Easter gives to us and starts in verse 13. Therefore, or sorry, yes, therefore, uh, he says, take up the whole armor of God. How much of it? What was my point? Don't forget anything. How much should we take up? We need all of it. The whole armor of God. Don't forget a darn thing of this. You cannot leave any of it at home. If you're going to engage in the spiritual battle, if you're going to, and which you are, whether you like it or not, you need to have it all available, all on you, all ready. If you forget any of it, you're going to have a major gaping hole in your defense and your offense. And so he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to... Withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. I don't like that phrase, evil day. Anybody else, you know, kind of wonder, when is the evil day? That's kind of like you wonder, is that when like the the pots and pans start floating in the room and I got to start yelling at demons or something? Is that the evil day? No, technically the evil day is when you're most susceptible to temptation. And for most of us, that's Monday, right? Or any day in Corona when you're driving, because we all drive in traffic and we all drive mad. That's just the bottom line. That's that's where we're at. We're angry drivers now. You get out there because you know you're going to get stopped somewhere for a very long journey. But traffic and these kind of places build this tension in you. For me, Mondays are horrible because I can be up or down, and this is sad, but honestly, according to attendance, my my poor heart gets a little too wedded to that that fact. And then knowing that the average American only goes to church one day out of every month, one Sunday out of every month, it's just, I'm like, really? So that's not how it should be, but that's the average right now in America. And so when your heart is like attached to numbers, that's a bad way to live. And it puts me in the bad mood because guess what? I step out of my, out of my room just exhausted from preaching Saturday, preaching Sunday, needing to go to work on Monday, knowing I got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday coming, and then Friday I get off. And my kids come downstairs and they're acting like, you know, Kids. That's right. They're acting like kids. The problem is I'm acting like a kid because I'm in the wrong position. On the evil day, I'm prepared to blow up at them and shout at them louder than they're shouting at each other, to attack them louder than they're attacking each other, to discipline them for no reason at all, just because I'm mad, just because I'm hungry, whatever it is. That's the evil day. Any day is the evil day for you if you're not prepared with the armor of God. You need to be ready to stand firm against all of the schemes of the enemy who's ready to take you down with accusations to make you depressed, who's ready to remind you of the toil and the trial you're in as your back hurts and your hips hurt and your head hurts and your body hurts and nothing works right anymore and you can't get moving like you used to. Man, doesn't life stink? Aren't you ready for that evil day. I hope you are. And that's why we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the two kinds of armor given to us here, the two kinds of equipment. Actually, there's defensive equipment in this list and offensive equipment in this list. Paul doesn't break it up that way. He likes to break it up on what you strap on and what you pick up. But we're going to kind of divide out those things into the defensive and the offensive. So let's start with using our defensive armor. The first piece that you should pick, you should strap on is called the belt of truth. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt 
of truth. The word fastened on is also, maybe some of you says, gird on the belt of truth. The word is gird means to gird up your loins. It sounds like a really bad thing. It's not. Back in the day, they used to wear tunics. They didn't wear pants. And so when they wore a tunic, they'd have a belt. And when they needed to run or prepare themselves to go, ladies, you know what it's like to run in a skirt. Unless you wear kilts, guys, you don't really know how this works because we don't wear, wear dresses. And so you have to pick up and gird up what was excess on your tunic in order to run. That was called girding up your loins. It was preparing yourself for battle. In the case of battle, you would tuck your tunic into your belt. It kept you prepared and ready to go. And what Paul is basically saying is get yourself ready with truth. Here's a huge thing, guys. Do you realize how many of us have, have gotten into the mode when you come into a church that this is entertainment rather than education? And I don't mean that as a bad thing. That's just where we're at. Look, you're sitting in rows staring at one thing. That's called a movie theater. If I put some desks out, attendance would drop because you'd all think it's school. But, that's the, but this is an education center. You see, what we're doing here is we are learning about the truth. Well, what is the truth? I don't know what the truth is. Well, here's the truth. Anything that corresponds with how things really are is truth. Give me an example. This is a table. <gasps> wow, fascinating. It's not a piece of cheese. It could be labeled cheese, and it still would be a table. Just because it's falsely labeled, we know it's falsely labeled because we know it's a table. Now you're like, this is stupid, Greg. Why are you going over this? Because there's plenty of people out there to tell you it might be a table. No, it's a mesa. Yes, that's table, just a different language, okay? Well, it's actually atoms and, and, and different stuff combined. Yes, but it's still a table. We can play games with truth. We can make up the world as we think we want it to be, but the reality is that there is a reality. And when it, what we say matches reality, we are speaking truth. And the church, our aim is to speak truth because we're to know the one who is true, namely God and all that he has made. When you're at church, it's about God and everything that he has done, everything that he has made, every action that he has done, every body he has made. God and his actions is what we center on in the church. That means, guys, we should, as a church, be excited about things like God and his creation. That includes science. Do you ever think that science is not opposed to God? The world wants to tell you, oh, science and God, they don't mix. No, yeah, guess what? We play in the realm that science works in. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God says he created the world with order. Did you know that's the only ancient worldview that claims that? Every other ancient worldview that before scientists began exploring the world said the world is chaotic. Change is what is normal. Everything changes, therefore it's chaotic. The gods exist to impose some kind of order in the midst of war, and it's a cosmic battle not to flop back to chaos. The world is chaotic by nature. Know the gods so that you can know order. Don't look at the earth. And yet what Christianity did and Judaism did, it says, no, God is orderly and he created an orderly world. And so when Christians began to realize we're right with God and we, now we have a chance to be right with the world, let's go explore the world and find its order. And guess what we found? order, laws. And we began to advance and take those laws and apply those laws and build them into things called technologies that, that were increasing as people became more curious and more comfortable in the reality that God had put 
order in the world. Science and God aren't opposed to each other. Philosophy and God aren't opposed to each other. The strongest philosophical proofs in the world point back to God, not to something else. All of the concepts of truth point back to God because all truth is God's truth. Don't check your brain in at the door at church. Dive in deep. The reason we give you a chance to take notes is so that we can engage in what we're talking about. Write notes and research it later. Ask questions back. This is an education facility, not an entertainment zone. And it's important that we know that. Otherwise, you're not going to have the belt strapped on. Your pants are going to fall down when you're out there trying to engage with people. Last time I checked, that's embarrassing. We don't want to do that. When you get out there and you start engaging people and you start having conversations about God, do you know enough truth? Have you engaged in enough knowledge? Have you delved deep into the world of who God is and what he has made to be able to have conversations, to not be afraid when an objection is brought and go, that's a good thought. I've never looked into that. Let me check. The belt of truth empowers you and enables you and it makes us different. You see, what is truth and where do we really understand what's truth versus a lie when it comes to all these different things? Jesus helps us with this in John 17. While praying to the Father, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Later he'll say, that's what I need. That's why they're going to be sanctified in the truth because I'm going to sanctify myself. Sanctify, set them apart. Make them useful for you in your truth. Your word is truth. The word acts like a frame. It tells you what is actually capable of being thought through in the world. Anything beyond that frame, it doesn't work. In the frame, speculate and wonder at the beauty and the creation that God has made and who God is because his word is truth truth. It makes us different, guys, and we don't even feel the difference anymore because you're surrounded in it. Prior to Jesus, there wasn't any, they didn't treat children well. There wasn't orphanages or royal family kids camps. There weren't even hospitals. Women weren't educated. Neither were young kids. Only certain children of certain homes got an education, if even that. Life was considered cheap, so much they throw you in a, Roman's, a Roman Colosseum to have you kill each other just for the sport of the people to watch. Life was cheap, so cheap, I'd rather put, make you a slave and throw you in a salt mine and grind your life out. The, look, the value of humanity rose through Jesus. Children rose through Jesus. The world of the family and the home rose through Jesus. The honoring of the single life rose in Jesus All of this began when Jesus entered and taught. You will not find any of it. You won't find welfare houses. You won't find help for the poor. You will not find any of it. Even the hard work that you and I do in vocation isn't found prior to Jesus. His truth shaped and made us radically different so much so we don't even see how different we are because we don't get out of our American culture. And we've exported so much of the Western culture that was shaped by the teachings of Jesus. Guys, it is sanctifying, it's transforming, it's powerful, but that means you and I need to know the truth. We should be memorizing it and taking it in. Sorry, in Psalms, it says that the righteous man delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's thinking about it, not just listening to it. I want you guys to get the app. I want you to be listening to the, to, on the, on the version app. I want you to be listening to the scriptures, but I want you to be thinking about the scriptures. How does this apply to life? Because you need to challenge the deception that's out there from the enemy. You need to be smart enough with your belt on to be able to stand firm when the enemy lies to you. 
What would you do, for example, if somebody approached you over in vitro fertilization? This has happened to me. My family member came to me and was like, hey, we're really thinking about in vitro fertilization. We can't have children. It's been really difficult. Of course, I'm having trouble because it's a painful thing and I want to walk carefully. And some of you guys know this, but they were like, what do we do about in vitro? And I said, well, here's what I think. And I had studied it enough to know from school what it was and had taken enough studies in the text and, and thought about it long enough to realize this is the answer that I'm going to tell you. I wouldn't advise it completely for you unless you're willing to tell the doctors you cannot make more than what we're going to use for embryos. So the problem is they make dozens and dozens of embryos, and then they only implant a few. In fact, what they do is they test them all, discard the rest, killing children, and then implant the ones they want. And if they go, they go. If they don't, they don't. And they do all kinds. And so the danger in in vitro is that right now there are millions of children cryogenically frozen across the world. Just last month, they had one problem of a, of, a, of a company who had a power outage and thousands, tens of thousands of children died in cryogenic frozen states. We need to be careful about these technologies. We need to be thinking biblically so that we can come to these conversations with wisdom and truth and be ready with our belts on. Truth girded up, ready to think about these things, not just dive in. The belt of truth is huge, and it's something we need to ponder and know well. But we don't just stop there. I want you to have all of it on. Take on the whole. Don't forget any of it. And so let's move on to the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate of righteousness is important. First of all, let's just clarify something. Righteousness is the goodness that people, people have towards God. Look, there are people out here, you guys have done good things. Let's not get it wrong. But this is what we're talking about. Your goodness is not good enough. Notice you got to strap on this righteousness. It's not something that comes out, out of you. It is something that is foreign to you. It is something that is Jesus has given to you. We're not talking about our goodness. Our goodness, according to the scripture, while it may be good things, and there are people who do good things, and you're going to meet lots of them who do nice and loving and kind things, it doesn't matter a hill of beans before God. He looks at it as nasty, dirty grimy, disgusting rags flung before him. He's like, why do I want that? Why do I want your soiled rags? Throw those in the trash, burn them and throw them in the garbage or the, or the toilet or whatever. Get those away from me. He wants perfect righteousness, goodness of the most pure quality. Well, here's the thing. The only way we get that is by Christ giving it to us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of, the, one of the many verses that speaks about this, it says, For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, who knew no sin, becomes our sin, takes his sin upon us so that we can have his righteousness. He does a great exchange, all our mess for all his goodness. And this means something. When you strap on Jesus' righteousness, it cannot be corrupted. Jesus' righteousness is sealed in the heavens, righteous forever. He doesn't change, and your righteousness, because it's not yours, it's his, now can never be changed. Now, does that mean we run off, let's go sin like crazy? Nope, that's not the point. We'll realize later we've died to sin, but what we have right now is an opportunity that when the accusations come about what you did and how you messed up your life in the way that it was supposed to be, 
You know, you got, you're a single mom now, or you're, you're divorced, and you've got this mess in your home, or maybe you've been arrested, or maybe you've got an addiction, or maybe you're just sitting in the middle of something, or maybe your life is perfect, and you're just way too proud of yourself that you didn't have any of what I just listed happen to you. The devil is plenty happy to put innocent in any of these situations. It can't be our righteousness we stand on. It's not worth it. And so when the accusations come and when the moments hit, we need to be able to stand and say, my righteousness isn't mine, it's God's. It's Jesus has given to me. I can't do anything to add to it. I can't do anything to take away from it. And when we have that knowledge, it helps you stand firm when you are attacked and it enables you to start living it out in your life, to live his justice and live his truth and to live his love wherever you go. Because this is what we have. It's not our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness we strap on. Does that make sense? Because some of you guys are going to beat yourself up. You're not perfect enough. You never will be. But Christ has been. Don't allow the enemy's attack of accusation to take you down. It's not your righteousness that makes you right before God. It's Jesus's. So once you've strapped that on then, don't forget also the shield of faith. Now I have to have a new definition here again. Because faith has got all kinds of interesting terms with it. Here he's saying you need to take this up. This is found here in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So in this case, you take up faith. Now what's faith? I know what faith is. Faith is magic. That's what we're told nowadays. That if you believe something strong enough, it will happen. I can move the universe with my faith or I can move God to give me what I want. If I just say it and I say it and I trust the promises of God, I will have it. Look, yeah, God's promises are locked. You're going to get them. Just doesn't mean you're going to get them when you want them. They can happen way later called eternity. The other problem with faith is we think it's this like, okay, okay, I don't have any reason to believe this, but here I go. I just have faith. And you hope you land on something solid. It's the Indiana Jones jump leap of faith. Guys, that's not faith in the Bible. Faith is standing confidently upon the evidence that you have. That's faith. I'll give you an example. When you walk up to the terminal and you see the big plane in front of you, you're going to get on that thing because you know it's going to take you where you want to go. You believe that the law of aerodynamics that are built into that plane are going to enable you to fly to whatever location you're going to. Because you've watched plenty of other planes take off and land. You've met people who've been on planes. You know a little bit about the fact that they work because you see them fly over your head every day. You have reasonable enough evidence to believe that this plane is going to get you there. And then you're on the plane and turbulence hits. You don't believe it anymore. You're like, I'm going to die, right? And we're all freaking out. And then as you're screaming and you're freaking out because the plane's doing this in the middle of the air, you have this. Uh, this is your pilot. We're hitting some turbulence. Please buckle your safety belts. And you're like, because now it's changed. You don't, you, don't, you don't have belief in the aerodynamics anymore. You are trusting the pilot. See, we trust people and we believe in things and here we believe in truths. And what happens is when you combine those two things, because God is both a person and the truths, you have what's called faith. You have reasonable evidence to believe in what God has told you because he has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ rose. And when you have that down and you've solved that problem and you know that either he rose or he didn't, when you see that he did, you can begin to trust because you see these messianic prophecies that we can prove are older than Jesus have occurred and they've been locked into who he was and God's faithful to his promises. 
And now when you begin to doubt, it's not skepticism. Oh yeah, well, sure. And then you're trusting something else and arguing with it versus doubt, which is this, I'm fearful of this thing, but I'm still trusting in you, God. I'm just not sure how this works out right now. It's discomfort in the middle of your thinking process, but you lean, holding the shield of faith, going, God, I know you've given me enough evidence that I trust you in the middle of this trial. I don't know why it's happening to me, though. God, I, I don't understand this argument, but I trust that you you're exist, and I trust you because I have enough evidence in other areas. I just don't know how this works out right now. That's holding on to the faith, not in an ignorant manner. It's an examination and a conversation. It's diving in and knocking down the darts of doubt, knocking down the darts of suffering, knocking down the darts of deception because you trust the word of God. You know what's most essential in the case of taking up this is prayer. We'll hit prayer at the end, but guys, the more you pray and the more you see God answer your prayers, the more often you are prone to say, God, I got this. If you've gone through suffering and God has carried you through that suffering, people who are like that are rocks when it comes to faith. What can, what can throw you off when you've been through hell already on earth and Jesus has sustained you? You're standing there with your shield of faith going like, mine's big, where's yours? It's the size of my watch. You know, it's like, what can you do about it? We need to have large faiths which build on trusting God and seeing his answers and walking with him and seeing his truth. The next defense is called the helmet of salvation. We find it right here in verse 17. He goes on, and take up the helmet of salvation. That's all he says. Well, what is this? Well, obviously, it's our salvation. Something many of us need to remind ourselves every morning because we go to bed and it's like our brains are wiped, right? I don't even remember the sermon yesterday. I don't remember my quiet time. I'm returned to heathenism. I need to remind myself of the gospel because I'm about to go out into the world and deal with that guy at work or whatever it is. And here's the truth. The, the, the Puritans argued that you and I should be constantly preaching the gospel at ourselves, to remind ourselves of these truths. We wake up in the morning and remind us that Jesus Christ has borne my sins on the cross. He's risen from the dead to give me a resurrection. I'm set free from sin so I can live now in a life that he has given for me to live with works that he's laid out before me, with a spirit that he's empowered me to serve others in the church. I have purposeful life beyond death even. Now I'm ready to go. God, what do you got for me to do today? That's a way to wake up in the morning, amen? Try it if you haven't. It's a great way to wake up in the morning. And what we see here is that this is the helmet of salvation. You see, you can fear death because the enemy can get you scared of it. Death is feared by all people. There's no one I know that doesn't fear death. Truly fear it unless they know Jesus. Oh, I'm confident in death. I'm just going to be obliviated. Yeah, no, I don't really think you're excited about that. Well, I'm going to heaven. Well, how do you know? I, I don't know. You see, what we have is confidence in the resurrection. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we certainly shall be united with him in a resurrection like his, Paul says. If you denied your life and you're walking with Christ and you said, I'm going after you, God, I'm not following my passions, I'm not giving in to my sin, I'm after you, you are my focus, you have a guarantee that the resurrection like his. If we're disciples of Christ, we have a resurrection coming. We don't fear death. We live in life. Second, we don't have to fear the judgment beyond death. You and I don't have the wrath of God upon us because therefore we have now been made right by the blood of Jesus. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, which manifests in hell? 
Guys, we don't have to fear hell. Hell isn't ours to have. Hell is gone for us. We have heaven to look forward to, a resurrection beyond the grave. And so death is no longer a fear for us. Judgment is no longer a fear for us. How can he make you scared of death or make you feel guilty if that's not your ultimate destination? He cannot shame you. He cannot crush you with accusation when you have reminded yourself of the gospel. Romans 6, 6 goes on to say that you'd not even sin is something that can entangle you completely. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Guys, you may be struggling with an addiction today, but you don't have to stay there if Jesus Christ has entered into your life because the Spirit of God is in you to give you new options of choices you didn't have before. Those new options are to choose life, to walk in justice, to love others, to live with purpose, and to set aside the false intimacy and garbage that drowns our lives in addiction. That's why you find in places that are fighting addiction, those who trust in Jesus and have a life filled with Christ have a better route out than others. Because the Spirit of God is dwelling there to give you new options and new directions. Same thing is true for all of our sins. Be them gossip, be it just a simple problem of lying in your life or, or running yourself ragged because you think you've got to be successful and you're being a sinful person by not taking Sabbath. Jesus Christ is there to give you new options and the word of God there to challenge you. You don't have to be taken down by temptation. You're set free. You have new choices to walk in the Lord. This is the defense and we can't forget any of it. All of it is there prepared to knock down all of the schemes of the devil. Even then we got to turn to the offensive weaponry. I'll do this as quickly as I can. The offensive weaponry is huge though, and it's found in this simple concept right here, starting with the, uh, the footgear of the gospel. Look, look at verse 15. He says, and for shoes, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Guys, if you want to be ready, you need, to, you need the right kind of footwear. The Romans understood with these hobnail shoes that they were able to stand firm in an attack. They were in defense position, but then be able to advance because they weren't going to move with the ground. It was all about the footwear. Everybody who plays sports knows it's about the footwear, especially basketball players. I mean, you had that pump thing, right? That was all about the footwear. You need the right kind of footwear here. And here's the thing. The footwear he says for us to wear is the gospel. The sad thing is in the studies right now, 10% of Christians have the ability to even give the gospel. I know the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. No, 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 no. If that's all you think the gospel is, you've opened the door for the problem of evil. Well, Jesus just died for our sins. Why didn't he forgive everybody? You've opened the door for people not being forgiven in other locations, other time periods. No, the gospel is far greater. We have to understand the justice of God before we understand the, and the wrath of God before we understand the mercy and the grace of God. We have to be able to lay this out rightly so people can see the whole picture and understand what they're receiving and what they're being saved from and what they're being saved to. No wonder 10% of the people are running out around without their shoes on. Y'all remind me like my children in the car. Don't forget your shoes. You need your shoes. we got to know the gospel. How can we believe the gospel and not know what it is to share it? 
And so here he says, you should be ready with the gospel. Let me give you a simple verse that helps you do this. This is from our Launchpad class. It's the same verse we use there. It says, you only need to get this one down. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's how it works. You start at the beginning. What are the wages of our mistakes and sins and rebellions and things we've done wrong? What do we get paid in the end? Death. That's the paycheck. When you get to the end of your life, for all the evil that you've done, you will be given a paycheck called death. And it's forever. But God has a gift for you. It doesn't have to end in that death. What he has available for you is a free gift. It's like a gift you didn't expect. He's wanting you to have it. It's like he's chasing you around going, take my gift, take my gift, because he wants you to have it so badly that he is telling you here is the free gift of God and it's eternal life. Life forever, life with God, eternal living that is founded in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ took your wages. He said, I'll take your ped check. Here, you take mine. And you explain what Jesus did was bore our death, our sin on the cross to give you his paycheck, which was eternal life. And he rose from the dead to give you that life so you can have it now. All you have to do is receive it because it's a free gift. You don't add to it. You don't take it away. Guys, we need to have this down. And the way you do it is by being like doctors. Practice. Isn't that weird? Doctors practice their craft. I just always hope they're not practicing on me. It's just, it's just one of those like, wow, can you just have it right? No, they have to practice because they're constantly learning. Every human being's different and it's not one size fits all. Medicine doesn't work that way. You have to practice it. You're looking for patterns. The same thing is true with evangelism. You have to practice it. You, it's not like riding a bike. You, each person's different. Each person is adjusting differently. You walk up to people and you're like, hey, I just want to, you know, I wanted to talk to you. Yeah, what about, what about Jesus? Oh, Jesus didn't even exist. Oh. Oh, okay, I'll write that down. You know, that's about as good as some of us can get. What, what do I say to that? Where do I go? How do I turn that around? What, I don't know. It's in the practicing that you begin to discover the different objections and how to work with people, how to care about them, how to love them, how not to be a jerk while giving away the very love of God. Practice is essential. We need to have these on. We need to be ready to walk. We need to have this down so we can get this going. And then you need to have the sword of the Spirit ready to go. The Spirit sword in verse 17 comes out. It's very clearly the offensive weapon. And take the helmet of salvation, says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And here's what's interesting. That word is the word rhema, and the word means spoken. Logos means spoken. Anytime you hear the word word, it is not something that's thought. It is something that is said. You didn't just write the word of God. You spoke the word of God. You wrote graphe. You spoke rhema and logos. So whenever you see this kind of stuff, he's saying, this is spoken word. When Jesus was fighting off temptation, he spoke the word of God to the devil. Notice that? He didn't sit there and go, and, hey, turn these stones into bread. Hold on, devil. Oh, I'm quoting scripture at you right now. Can't you hear me? That's not what he was doing. He spoke it. You want to defend against temptation? Speak the truth of God. Speak the word of God. 
In fact, Paul will tell you that if you speak the word of God, that's what brings hearing and hearing through the word of, uh, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And what we get here is a transformation of the heart through the speaking. But because we don't know the gospel, we go into like, well, I know what I'll do. I'll just do good stuff for people to see. See, I'm doing good stuff. Well, why are you doing good stuff? I'm doing good stuff. Well, why? I can't tell you because I don't know how. I'm just going to keep doing good stuff. No, you need to be ready to speak it and speak the word. I don't care if you say, you know, God said, the Bible said, Jesus said, it is written, ancient wisdom connotes, whatever you want to say. But we need to start speaking. You know how much they speak about their holy texts to you? Well, science has proven that, really? I would like to see that. I would like to see that. Show me, show me where you got that from. Uh, what study? How was the study conducted? Who are the scientists? Was it peer-reviewed? By what peer review? Is that a legitimate peer review? When did it happen? What year was this? Has it had any legitimate back source? Has it had another study done to corroborate that fact? Science has said, huh? By the way, do you know how many scientific articles are being thrown on us without actually being true because they're trying to get their grants? Science has said, huh? Even though there's APAs and things like that that say you can't study this area because we don't want you to. When they quote their scriptures, simply say, well, the Bible says this. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Why not? Blah, blah, blah. Well, did you know Jesus Christ rose from the dead? That's pretty much where it gets down to. Well, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. How do you know? How do you explain what happened? Ask them questions. Be prepared. Use the word. Quote it. Speak it. Because according to Paul, this is the weaponry of spiritual warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against what? The knowledge of God. That's another term for the word of God. Take every thought captive to, to obey Christ. What you're doing is you use the word. You use the conversation. Use your belt of truth. Use the word of God. We're intelligent people who use intelligent arguments to bring about intelligent responses with love and gentleness. We don't need to yell people down. They start yelling when we start making sense. That's what happens. We don't need to yell. We just need to be truthful and kind and extremely prayerful. That's the final piece. Guys, we need to be ready in constant communication. Notice this. Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Guys, if Paul was praying for boldness, this is Paul. How much do we need it? Guys, we should be praying for each other that we're standing firm, we're alert to the problems that the devil is bringing to us, that we're standing firm, we're bold in our proclamation. Notice both sides, that we're defensively prepared happens when we're praying for each other and that when we're bold is because we're praying for each other. Guys, that's the case. We need to be praying constantly for each other. You know, in the 1950s, Tell me you remember this. They gave you an awesome tool to stop 
a nuclear bomb. It was called your desk. Anybody remember that? All you had to do was climb under your desk. They won't get you that way. Obviously, they were just trying to comfort you. This isn't something God's trying to comfort you with. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he's armed you with the power of his resurrection and the gospel to defend against lies, accusations, temptations, and destruction. We have everything that we need in Jesus Christ to stand firm in the matter of spiritual warfare. What we need to do is not forget any of the pieces. My challenge to you, all branch, is to look over this list and to indicate which one you're weakest in and which one you need to shore up. And take your summer and begin to look at this. Start preparing yourself. It may be the truth. It may be prayer. It may be the word. It may be just trusting in the righteousness of Christ, but we need this. So what I want to do is close here today with just a prayer over you guys. And so if you would, allow me to do that. Father, I ask your blessing upon these people, these, these men and women who I love, and I just ask that you would allow us to see clearly what pieces we may have accidentally left behind that we need to put on. Help us to take up that challenge, or to live out that gospel, to live out your truth, and to be empowered by the work that you've given us and the strength of your might. We pray that you enable us to do this, that we may advance in this world to bring your truth with love and gentleness representing you rightly and representing your truth truly. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.